Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Happy Thanksgiving. Either we've got a lot of people that are traveling this Sabbath or I scared them all off last week. We have been learning the importance of the ministry of Jesus in the most holy place of the sanctuary. We've discovered that the judgment of all who claim to be Christians is taking place in heaven when? Right now. And has been taking place since October the 22nd, 1844. It starts with those who have died claiming to be Christians. And then it will switch to those who are alive. We don't know when the switch will take place. We have no idea when our name will be placed in front of that judgment scene. All we know is that it's going on right now. So it's important for us to be able to understand more of the ministry of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary, and the things that need to take place within our lives. So that's why we learn more about this ministry. There's an interesting book. This is the book. I have a copy of it. It's called The First Jewish Catalog. Seems like a strange name for a book. It is written by a young Jewish man who discovered not only about himself, but many other young Jews in the United States. They hear about their Jewish heritage, but they don't understand anything about it. They hear some of these terms that have gone on and from their parents and their grandparents, but they don't know the meanings. They've heard about all the feasts and the festivals and everything else, but they don't understand what they mean. And so this particular catalog is to be able to explain some of the meanings that go along. One of the areas that they look at is the cleansing of the sanctuary, the forgiveness of sins for God's people. And it's interesting, of course, do you know what they call the cleansing of the sanctuary? Yom Kippur. It's, it's interesting to read that during Yom Kippur, they tend to read two books from the Old Testament during this time. The first one they read is the book of Jonah. Seems kind of strange to read about the book of Jonah, doesn't it? when it was talking about judgment, but Jonah really is looking at how to follow and to do God's will, isn't it? When Jonah didn't do the will of God, the storm came up, and they were going to, they threw him into the ocean or into the sea, and then this big fish comes and swallows him. And then later, after deliverance, spits him out, and he's to do the will of God and to go preach in Nineveh. And ask them to change, and they did change. The other book is the book of Job. Again, another strange book. But this is talking about having great faith 
in times of adversity. Job went through some rough times and he didn't even know why he was going through it. But he maintained his faith in God. Following and doing God's will, having great faith during adverse times, isn't that really what it says in the next slide when it comes up? Here are they that keep the commandments of God. Isn't that the will of God? And have the faith of Jesus, especially having faith during the rough times of life. So keeping the commandments is just like what was taught in the book of Jonah. And having the faith of Jesus was the theme, really the faith, the theme that was in the book of Job. And God's people will be going through the time of Jacob's trouble And they will definitely need a faith like that of Jesus when he faced adversity. Isn't that true? The problem is, is that we don't understand much about either one. What we tend to do is, we tend to focus on the keeping of the commandments And as we discovered, you know, the keeping of the commandments is not easy to do. And when we try to do it on our own power, what we end up doing is failing. And then when we fail, we get discouraged. And when we get discouraged, our faith begins to falter. Am I I correct? You gone through that? Am I the only one in this church that's ever gone through that? We have established a couple of weeks ago that our failure to do the will of God is because we rely upon our own power and upon our own effort to try to keep the commandments of God. We know that the commandments of God, we discovered, is really the character of God. And we want to be more like Him, so we keep trying and trying and trying. But we keep ending in failure. We all recognize the need to keep those commandments. But as we discovered last week, that involves more than just keeping ten simple little rules. It involves the way we think. The desires of our hearts. The custom and the influences of those that are around us. The sins that have been passed down from generation to generation. All these affect us in such a way that makes it hard for us to keep the commandments of God. Maybe it's because we always start in the wrong place. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have what? The faith of Jesus. The importance is is to turn to the great I am. What do I mean by that? If you remember back when God's people were held in captivity in Egypt, the Israelites, God's people, began to dress like Egyptians. They were taught to think like Egyptians. 
They were influenced by the Egyptian culture. They worked with Egyptians, and in some cases they even married Egyptians. And even though they claimed to be followers of God, they lived more like Egyptians than like God's people. Are we any different ourselves? We are captive in a sinful world. We dress like sinners. We think like sinners. We're trained by sinners. We even marry sinners. We go to church in our sinful ways and pray for deliverance to that promised land called heaven. But before God could change the Israelites, He had to establish His position as God within their life. Exodus 3, verse 8. I have come down to deliver them. He's speaking, God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush, and he's saying, I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. To be honest with you, the Israelites didn't know who God was. They were praying to a God. They knew there was a land that had been promised, but they really didn't know who He was. How can you trust a God when you've never seen Him? The Israelites had to learn from the Egyptians. They had learned from the Egyptians the way that the Egyptians worshipped. And that is that if you worship a God, you have to change your life and be nice to them before that God will ever pay any attention to you and do to you what you want. That's a pagan idea. Guess what? We harbor that same idea. If I change my life and keep the commandments of God, it's going to please God, and then He's going to focus His attention on me, and then finally give to me eternal life. That is pagan thinking. And that's why God had to come in. By the way, who was going to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt? God was. Okay? Keep that in mind. Let's continue on. Exodus 4, verses 6 through 8. Again, God is speaking to Moses and He says, Say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Again, who would deliver them from the captivity? Okay. 
from the biblical account that we just read, did God mention anything about the efforts to obtain their deliverance? Not their efforts. If you look at the passage, all it's asking them to do is to trust God. He's saying to them, trust me and I will rescue you because I am your God. Like the Israelites, we have to learn to trust that our Savior, Jesus Christ, will rescue us from the captivity of sin because He is our God. That's He's asking us to establish a perfect faith. If you want to be perfect in something, perfect your faith in Jesus Christ. The Israelites didn't really trust Moses' message from God. In fact, at first they kind of rejected that message. So God had to do something to let them know that He is a powerful God. Pharaoh, who was the leader in Egypt, if you really look at it, Pharaoh is a symbol of Satan. Holding captive mankind in a world of sin. He didn't want to let the Israelites get out from under his control. So God had to demonstrate His power. He had to first show Pharaoh who's boss, and then He had to show the Israelites that He's in control so that they could establish their faith in Him during very adverse conditions. And that's when the ten plagues hit. It was during the ten plagues that all saw the might and the power of God. It was during the ten plagues that they saw the weakness of the Egyptian gods. Because their gods couldn't deliver them from these plagues. The last plague, where it says, slain of the firstborn. God's people had to place their faith in the blood of a sacrificial animal. The blood was to be placed over the door of their homes. They were to get things ready, which was their part, to get things ready to move to this promised land. To anticipate an exodus out of their slavery. They had to stay inside their homes under the protection of the blood of the sacrificial lamb. When that plague hit, if there was no blood, there was death in that house. Where there was blood, there was life. And so again, I want to stress 
that they had to learn to have faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it was pointing to. It's what we have to have our faith in. In great adverse conditions, we have to believe in the sacrifice of Jesus is for us. It's establishing that faith, that faith first before we can ever come and understand or even change our lives to come in order of the Ten Commandments. In the sanctuary, that same faith is needed. God introduced to the Israelites later on the sanctuary service and especially that service of the Day of Atonement, the Day of Judgment. The blood of a lamb was taken by the high priest into the most holy place. During that time, as the high priest was in the most holy place, the people stood outside the sanctuary walls. Remember, we we looked at this. They were examining their lives for any unconfessed sin. They knew it was necessary to be in tune with the will of God, to reflect His character. We, we looked and, and we learned that the commandments of God revealed how, how all of heaven will be ruled throughout all eternity. If you want to know what heaven's going to be like, it's going to be the same laws that God has here on this earth. If you don't like the laws now, you're not going to like living in heaven. So the commandments of God reveals how He's ruling heaven throughout all eternity. And so this is how we will learn to live by our faith first in Jesus Christ. Look at Leviticus. Chapter 20 and verse 7 simply says, Sanctify yourself and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. The Israelites took this command very seriously. They said to themselves, We must sanctify or change ourselves to do the will of God which is found in the Ten Commandments. Sanctify means to change ourselves, to change our life, to be in harmony with God's will. But it only ends in frustration and failure Because we can't get the job done. Here's where we fail. We forget to read the next verse in Leviticus. Leviticus 20 and verse 8. You shall keep my statutes. What's a statute? That's his laws. You're going to keep my laws and do them. Why? I am the Lord which sanctifies you. Now that almost sounds like it's contradicting itself. God, it says here, God is the one who sanctifies me. 
The first says we have to sanctify ourselves. And this says that the Lord is going to sanctify us. Did Moses make a mistake? No, he didn't make a mistake. What we have to do is we have to take a peek through the curtain into the most holy place of the sanctuary during the Day of Atonement, the judgment time. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things, he, that's Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, keep that word in mind, for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Who's going to aid the tempted ones? It's Christ, my high priest. Am I right? Okay. That word propitiation has quite a meaning. First of all, it can mean atonement. So that verse that Jesus is our high priest and will make atonement for the sins of the people. But I dug into it a little bit deeper. It's interesting that propitiation has a different meaning when we're looking in that Jewish catalog that I referred to. Propitiation means the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Where is the mercy seat? If you remember, the mercy seat is located on the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. This is where the high priest on the Day of Atonement presents the blood of the sacrificial lamb. He places the blood on the lid of the mercy seat. I have to have faith that I am at the mercy of Jesus and His ministry within my life. Let's go to Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Who's the great high priest? Christ, okay. Who has passed through the heavens. He's gone into the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus, the Son of God. Now look at this very carefully. Let us hold fast our confessions. I'll get to that in a moment. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have discovered that one great need is for his last day people to keep the commandments of God. Where is it that I can receive mercy and grace to help my need for cleansing from my sins and have the power to keep the commandments from God? It's at the throne of grace. Now here's a good question to ask. 
What does this mean? Hold fast our confessions. The Greek word for hold fast really means to cling so tight to something that we actually become absorbed into that object. To cling so tight. When I was a little boy, my dad brought home a little puppy. Now, puppies are cute. And little boys love puppies. And I took that puppy and I was squeezing that puppy because I loved it so much, so hard, that I almost pushed him right into my body. The puppy began to yelp because it hurt it so bad, but I loved it so much. That's what this is saying, to cling so tight that we become absorbed. What or who are we to cling to? Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He, Jesus, who promised, is faithful. We are to cling on to Jesus by hope or by faith. Jesus' ministry as our high priest is our only hope. In fact, we are supposed to cling to Him so tight that we will be absorbed into Him. So what does that mean? John 15, verse 4. Abide, that word abide means live. Live in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I cannot keep the commandments of God until I am holding on, knowing and loving Christ so much that I abide or I live in Him. I am squeezing Him. I am clinging him to Him so much that we become one. That's called corporate oneness. Remember, we talked about this. When Jesus enters boldly into the throne room or judgment room of God, guess who else goes in there with Him? If I am in Christ, when Jesus goes into the throne room, I go into the throne room with Him. Whatever happens to Him in the throne room happens to me. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But something else happens when I cling to Jesus. At first, when it says when I abide or uh, to abide in Him, when I cling to Him, I am absorbed into Him. But it also says that He will abide or He will live in what else? He's going to live in me. Do you know what that means? There's that guy. The Creator of the universe comes so close to me that He is in me. I can't change my sinful behavior on my own power, but now I have the power of the universe residing in His temple, which is my body. 
With Jesus in me, I begin to bear good fruit. I begin to do His will. I begin to change my sinful life and desires to be more in tune with Him. In the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus enters in on October the 22nd, 1844. He's standing before the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. There's the judgment. And guess who's standing boldly there? I'm there with him. That judgment seat, that that mercy seat, is surrounded by the divinity and the righteousness of Christ. All of this is going on at the same time. I'm right there with him. But what if I make a mistake? Remember the people that are standing outside of the curtain, they're examining their lives and they're trying to see, maybe there's a confessed sin. Is it too late when he goes into the judgment? To have that sin forgiven him? Do you know what Jesus carries with him into the most holy place? He carries with him the golden censer filled with incense. What does the burning incense represent? The prayers of his people seeking forgiveness. They are still able to confess their sins, and if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he's still in this ministry, in the most holy place, going to cleanse us from what? All our unrighteousness. Wow. When I come by faith, confess my sins, and I've got to be specific. I can't go in there and say, forgive me of all my sins. Okay, let's go eat. I've got to realize what my sins are. Do you know? how I discover what my sins are? The commandments of God. And the Bible commentary of Jesus, when he says, you know, you've heard it say that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I tell you, when a man lusts in his mind, he's already committed adultery. And I'm going, oh. I've been faithful to my wife, but I've had these thoughts. I saw something pop up on the internet. I've broken a commandment. I can stop right then and there because Jesus has his incense in the most holy place. And I can say, Lord, forgive me of my adulterous thoughts. And guess what? By faith, i got to believe it's forgiven. It's forgiven. Because if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive me of that sin. And then He's going to help me to clean up my life, to change my life, to become more in tune with His commandments.
Do you know what happens next? This is amazing. Jesus is standing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. What's inside the covenant? It's the law. Okay. Remember, we've said in the previous sermon that the only question is asked is, has that person been keeping my law? So there's the law, and there's Jesus, and he's standing there before the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the mercy seat. Remember, we're in Jesus, so we're standing there with him. What we're going to see next is why it is so important to know what's been happening since October the 22nd, 1844, since the judgment began. This is so important to see that we've got to understand it completely. Do you agree? Do you want to hear? We're going to hit it next week. But in the meantime, let's turn in our hymnals to hymn number 289. The Savior is waiting. is moved by the Holy Spirit and feels the necessity to say, Pastor, I need to have you pray for me. Just come up. I want to pray for you. And when we finish this song. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to Him? Time after time, He has waited before. And now He is waiting. To see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. Remember, we said that Jesus wants to abide in you, he wants to be so close, he's drawn so close to you right now. He's just saying, Cling on to me. Come into me, and I'll come into you. If someone needs, feels that they really need that, they haven't experienced that, come up, and I want to pray for you as we sing the second verse. If you'll take one step toward
sanctuary today. These individuals have come and they want, they want to cling to you. By what faith they have, they want to cling to you so tightly that they become absorbed into your life to be a part of you and they want you to be a part of them. Lord, keep their mind focused upon the ministry of Jesus that's going on right now within their lives. He is doing everything that heaven can do to be able to give us all the gift of eternal life. We just have to trust that he knows what he's doing. It is by, not by our might and power, but by his might and power through his Holy Spirit that will change our hearts, our thinking, our actions to bust what's taking place around us, the, the uh, influences, to be able to help us to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of 